And then what exactly do you want them to do they're not doing now that they could do if they knew how to have a crucial conversation? And if they do those things, how's it going to help us improve output, quality, cost, and time? So by asking different set of questions, at least you can get some clarity on what the thinking is about that solution. But all too often in HR, it's either tell them what to do or just take the order. And you don't want to do either one of them, right? It's partnership and collaboration. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for the conversation today. I was saying uh, before I hit record that every once in a while, I get a pitch for a couple of guests that I just have to talk to. And I am pleased to introduce you today to Patty Phillips and Jack Phillips. They are co-founders and chairman of ROI Institute, respectively. They are also the co-authors of the new book, Show the Value of what you do. Welcome to the Rebel HR Podcast. Thank, Thank you, you, Kyle. Thank you. Really excited for the conversation today, and I'm also excited that Molly Burdess is joining us. Molly, welcome. Thank you. All right, so I want to start off uh, with the question that I ask every author, because undertaking a book is a big endeavor and takes a lot of time, energy, and uh, blood, sweat, and tears. So what prompted the two of you to write the book, Show the Value of What You Do? Well, it's certainly a great question. It's not our, the, our first book, but by any means, we've been fortunate in that we've worked together in this space to help individuals show the value of what they do in organizations or in their communities or just value to themselves for a very long time. But the, the reason we wrote this book is there was a need to tell that story in such a way that it resonates with a larger population. We tend to focus on corporate executives. We focus in HR, which is perfect audience here. We focus in other areas as well. So there was a need to really expand the reach um, because never before have we seen such demand for and such need for people to demonstrate the value and it's not just demonstrating the value, it's creating and demonstrating the value of what they do. And so that book was written for that larger audience. And it's also written in a less technical way. Many of our books are very technical. And so we wanted a book that was more reader friendly, um, not so much math, and a lot of great stories, stories where people from across the board, disciplines, organizations, um, you know, within the U.S., outside the U.S., are doing just that. They're creating and demonstrating the value um, that they bring to their organizations and their communities. So, Jack, you may want to add to that. Well, just that going, um, the fact that some of our books probably have frightened people because we have a title like Show Me the Money. <laughs> it's one of our titles. And then some of our books were 500 pages. Can you imagine that? And it's got ROI in the cover. And so, some poor soul trying to show the value of their project might get frightened with that. And so we wanted a more approachable book because so many people need to know how to show the value of, of just a project you're working on and, and understand success and not confusing activity 
with results, for example. And so we said, we got to write this book. And so that's motivated us to do it and to do it now. You mentioned you saw the need for people to be able to show the value of, of what they do. Where does that need come from? Well, for I mean, that's been a need for a very long time. We just see even greater need today. And much of it is coming from those people who are investing in the programs, projects, and initiatives that people are engaging in. So you have, you know, so many resources to spend or so much, whether it's resources, people resources, or money resources. But when you're making the purchase is that financial resource, you have only so much of it. So the question is, where do we spend it to get the most value for the money? And we just see the need to demonstrate that value even greater today. The other thing that is really important um, and another reason why we wrote this book is that in today's environment, you know, it's not so easy managing performance of people who are working at home. And with this new way of work for many organizations, that remote work, that hybrid work, you may see someone come in once a week or twice a week. The question becomes, how are they performing? And how can we measure their performance because we don't see them? And it's tough for a lot of people. So what we're trying to do with the book is give people who do want to demonstrate the value and the impact they're having in such a way that it's indisputable. We're removing some of that subjectivity that exists in performance management anyway. So it's a way to say, you know, you don't have to manage me day to day. You don't have to see me coming in and out of work. I'm going to deliver value. I'm going to you know, deliver what I promise. I'm going to deliver. And here's a way we can measure that, that delivery of that promise. Does that, does that answer it, Molly? Does that help? Yeah, and I can absolutely relate to the the challenge of trying to measure performance when you can't see them. And I think there's a lot of people out there and senior level executives that, that that's their fear, right? How do I know what they're doing? How do I know that I'm getting what I'm paying for? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to manage and trust that which we cannot see, right? It's hard for a lot of people. So, Jack, well, you were I would gonna- add to that. Yes, see, sometimes it you do it so that people notice what you do. If you've got a blocked career, you seem to be stale, stagnant in where you are, but yet you take on a project. Hey, this may be a way to show the value of this project and and let people see what you can do. We feature a lot of stories in our book, uh, about 20 plus stories of individuals and what this has done for them. One of those is Jessica Kriegel. She was a consultant at Oracle and her her pet peeve was, you know, I'm a millennial and millennials are just so misunderstood. And she had a project there at Oracle where she was asked to show, uh, to, to actually train some millennials because the manager says they don't think like us, they don't act like us, and so train them. And she saw that the problem there wasn't so much the millennials, it's the managers as well. So she she evaluated this program and studied it and analyzed it using our process and found that there's really two solutions here. One is to train the managers and the other one is train the millennials. And she did, and it worked. It paid off because they were losing those millennials. She showed the financial ROI. It got a lot of attention there within Oracle. In fact, she published it in a book that she wrote called Unfairly Label. It became a bestseller book. Jessica's now moved from Oracle to she was a chief people officer for a company. She's now a chief scientist for another company. So 
it got her out of a block career. So I think to get noticed, to get support, as well as Petty says getting funding, there's a lot of reasons to get this done. So and there are a lot of, there are a lot of people who are in roles that you know, some people would perceive those roles as a nice-to-have role, for example. So in the book, it tells the story of one of our great colleagues, Doug Stewart. He's a chaplain for a major healthcare organization. He has a big job in this healthcare organization, but pre-pandemic, they were questioning the value of chaplaincy within the healthcare organization. You know, can't we get this job done some other way? And so Doug set out to show that it is important. Chaplaincy is important to this particular organization. It's important to the organization. It's important to the patients. Now, we know since pandemic, you know, there's been greater value placed on chaplaincy. We've needed that. I mean, we're in a state now, you know, that mental health is so important. But pre-pandemic, there was a question mark about it. And so Doug tells that story in this book. So whatever role a person is in, this is a process or a tool that they can use to, you know, align their activities, the work that they do, align it with the needs of the organization, and then demonstrate through a process that they are delivering upon their needs. They're delivering that value. And what it does for the organization first, again, as we were talking, Molly, it changes the way in which we manage performance, especially for those hybrid workers. It's just it's just hard as a challenge. Changes the way we manage performance, changes the way we look at performance. But what it's also helping the employee do is build a portfolio of success. And that is not what we've historically been good at within organizations because we don't want our good people to leave. Well, you know, let's encourage people to build that portfolio of success because with new technology, we can move them around within the organization. We have these these internal processes, the technology that allows people to look within the organization to say, who has the skill, the talent that can serve this particular project? It may not be in HR. It may not be in marketing. It could be all the way over in some other department, but we're leveraging the resources and the skills we have. So we sometimes lose that when we think about demonstrating the impact and the value of our work, you know, we want to do that. It's not about what you do every day activity-wise. It's about the outcome, the so what of it all. So what you do it every day, what are you actually accomplishing? And that's what we're trying to get to. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think it's really, it's a really powerful concept that I think it's easy to overlook, especially if you're a human resources professional where, you know, you're coming in, typically you're coming into an organization where you've got best practices, maybe compliance is a big part of your role. Um, and so often we lose sight that, you know, the reason that we exist is to provide value, right? And that's, you know, that's why we have a job. Um, and in some way, shape, or form, we do add value or we wouldn't have a job. But I think so often in, in the focus of our, our podcast, so often is about how do we elevate the work that we do? How do we improve? How do we innovate? And how do we, how do we think a little bit differently about the role that we play within our organizations? So in the context of showing value on an individual level, that won't that naturally kind of reverberate through the entire um, you know, function, the functional pyramid as well? Absolutely. You, that's where it starts, right? The individual adds value, creates value, adds value, and then it just rolls out. So absolutely, if we can start there and change that perception. And then two, just note, 
Kyle, when we're talking about adding value and you touched on a little bit, you know, we're here, we exist to add value. That's what we exist to do. How are you defining it? So one thing we do look at is there are different measures of value. Ultimately, it's that impact. Um, it's that return on investment to say we get more benefit than than the spin, but there are other ways to look at value add too. So maybe you change someone's perception. Maybe you give someone some insight or share insight and knowledge that they didn't have. You help someone develop a, a skill that they didn't have. Maybe you change your behavior or help someone else change their behavior. And as a consequence, we see improvement in output quality, cost, and time. Okay, now you're starting to talk about what measures matter to operational excellence in the business at large. And if we can improve those measures given this very small investment over here, that is a huge ROI to the business. So there's different ways we look at value. Jack, you look as you, you want to say something, so go ahead. Oh, yes. Uh, you see, uh, there's, uh, there's so many things we need to be doing in HR to make sure we connect to the business. And I'm reminded of a person who went through our training and, and understood this process quite well. Uh, he, he told us, uh, a story about a job interview he had. He applied for HR manager for company and the top executive was interviewing him. And he says, the, the executive says, so what are you going to do for us as a head of HR? He says, I'm going to make you more profitable. He said, you, you are? How are you going to do that? He says, well, I know you have a turnover issue. And so that I, we can we can correct that easily and, and and save a lot of money. You got a safety issue. Hey, we can correct that. We we can we can make a big difference here and add more value than it's costing. And you got a productivity issue when you look at gross revenue per employee. And so I, we can work on that. We can get employees more motivated with their pay system, reward systems, and good supervision. So so he, he was going down a checklist here, and he, that executive was so impressed. He gave him the job. He says, no one has ever responded that way. Um, so it's, it's turning around and showing how you can add value to the organization instead of saying, I'm going to make sure we don't go to jail. <laughs> Well, that's it, man. I I'm so with you. I the and anybody listening to this podcast knows. Like, if you think about things from how do I prevent you know people from going to jail or how do I not get sued? Like, that's that's the absolute wrong context to be thinking about your job in. And who like who really wants to work that job? I don't. Right. It's do too much. It's, yeah. It's just, <laughs> no fun you, and too much pressure. Yeah. So. Seriously. Become the HR cops then, and that's yeah. 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 Hey, some of us are known as HR cops. Yeah, if we're trying to change that, I mean, Jackie just summed up like exactly what we're trying to do with our profession in about 30 seconds. It's, it's, a, it's amazing what needs to be done. I appreciate what you guys are doing here because it, it, the HR function, in my mind, if you look at all of the executives, there's no executive below the CEO that can have as much influence on the outcome and success of that organization than the head of HR. But they don't see it. Uh, we got to help them with that. That's what we need to do. But I think part of that, so coming from, so my very short stay, about 13 years in corporate, not in HR, um, the perception is HR is dictating, right? Not helping, not enabling. They're coming in. This is how it needs to be done. You're telling. And we see that with DNI as well, right? The DNI officer comes in and they're telling us this is the way it ought to be, not helping solve the problem. Now, there are some things that it, 
ought to be that way, right? I mean, there's some things, but the reason HR is looked at as the HR cop is because they don't come in wanting to solve the problem or leverage an opportunity. They're not partnering with the business. They're coming in as the cops. And, and it's unfortunate because then they don't get the respect that they need. People avoid them when, in fact, HR, as Jack said, can have the, the greatest value, can contribute the greatest value in an organization than any other function. But they're so caught up in this, here's the policy, here are the procedures, it's got to be done this way, rather than asking a different set of questions and being uber, uber curious about the business. And that's, that's an issue. You know, the curiosity is lacking. So for me, I feel like I'm definitely curious about the business. I'm very good at like coming up with these ideas. I know the problem, but I'm an idea creator where I've struggled personally when I'm talking about showing, you know, the value of what I do is how do I explain this to my executive team to get them bought in? How do I connect that to the results? How do I communicate it in a way that adds value. Do you, do you see a lot of people running into those same challenges? What advice do you have for me? And it's, it's getting bought into, getting bought into what? The- Let's say I have a program. Okay. Turnover, for example. Yep. I'm going to create this program to eliminate some of this turnover. Okay. What do I do with that? Yeah. How I do the- I get my team bought in? Right. First thing is recognizing that the program's the right solution for the turnover. Because a lot of times we'll just jump on a program and say, oh, you know, someone's done it that way, so we're going to do it this way, and it's not even the right solution. So step Let's one is... pay everybody more. That's right. Yeah, just <laughs> put it in there, and it's going to fix it. So step one is looking at the turnover and what turnover is it. Is it all turnover? Is it um, is it your, your high-performing turnover? So what turnover is it? And then what is it really costing the organization? If it's not a high-value cost, a high-value problem, then you really have to think through, okay... It may need to be solved, but just how, what's the magnitude of the problem? And that's what putting money on things does for us, right? Money shows us the magnitude of problem or opportunity. And then sorting out what needs to change and ensuring you've got the right solution and then positioning it so that people do get it. And it starts by positioning so that people are really compelled to address whatever the issue is. So they need to see what that problem is, the magnitude of the problem, and what it's going to take to implement the solution. So it's really just asking questions and telling, you know, sharing with people, here's what it is, this program, and here's what you are going to learn through the program and your people are going to learn, and here's what's going to change as a result of this, and here's why it's important. Because we need to reduce the turnover because the turnover costs this is hurting our customers. So it's really making it relevant to whoever that audience is and explaining clearly to them, you know, what you're going to learn, what's going to change, why it's important to the organization. So again, Jack, you might want to yeah. add to You see, and you're reminding them that any project you have has five levels of success. So if you've got a, a retention solution, it's first one is how people react to it. If you don't get the buy-in, you lose them. So they need to have a positive reaction. They need to see it as something that's needed, necessary, it's important, something they will implement. Then there's learning. What is it, what is it I need to know to make this work, make this solution work? What do I should be doing differently to make this work? So that's learning. they got to learn some things. And then there's action. That's activities. It's, we call that level three, application. I'm applying what I know now, what I what I know to make this successful, I'm doing something. And then there's impact, and that's the turnover. 
impact is a critical measure here. When you get to impact, part of the process is to sort out the effects of the retention solution from other factors so that you know exactly what we've done. That's proof that we made a difference. Now we look at the monetary value that we've avoided there compared to the cost, we get the ROI. So you've got these five levels of success, how they react, oh, what do they learn, what do they do, that's application, and that's impact, level four, and level five is the ROI. You get people to think that way. In any new project they have, hey, I got to think how they're going to react, what do they need to learn, what do they need to do, what's the impact, what's the ROI. And we get it, we ultimately where we got to go is impact and ROI. That's what the executives want to want to see. They're giving us money. They want to see what they're getting for that. So it all works together as a system It's explained in this new book. Hey, everyone. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Employee Onboarding Podcast by Process Street. If you care about crafting a magical experience for new employees and you love podcasts, you won't want to miss this. Join the Process Street team as they have conversations with people leaders and technology creators exploring the world's most magical onboarding experiences. You will learn cutting-edge best practices, industry secrets, and technology to wow every new employee that walks through your door. I recommend the episode where Process Street's CEO, Vinay Patankar, sat down with Zapier CEO, Wade Foster, to talk about how they've scaled employee onboarding in a $5 billion remote-first organization. And the conversation with Ben Eubanks discussing how to leverage AI and automation to improve the new employee experience will blow your mind. You can find the Employee Onboarding Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Go ahead and check it out. And don't forget, if you're interested in supercharging your employee onboarding or other HR processes, go ahead and give Process Street a try. You can sign up for a free account at www.process.st or check out their YouTube channel for a bunch of webinars and demos. So I think it's a really, it's, it's a very, very logical construct. That what you said, Jack, just makes absolute perfect sense. And I think, it, I don't think anybody listening to this is going to be like, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> right. Like, that just makes sense. But it's, I think, just because it's logical and straightforward doesn't mean it's, it's easy. Right. And, and I think that's, you know, so often we get caught into this trap where, you know, it seems like your world doesn't really match up with what it logically should. And so I, I want to start, I want maybe, take a step back. And, you know, I think one of the really powerful takeaways from the book for me was where you start with this type of process. And it's, you know, so often we start with what do we want to do as opposed to what impact do we want to have? So can you walk through the, that, that kind of that difference in approach and the, and the power of, operating in, in that, uh, in that way. Yeah. So it, it all starts with, you know, why, right? So like you said, Kyle, a lot of times things start with, this is what we want to do. Well, the question is, why do you want to do those things? So in the ideal world, you begin with what is the problem or opportunity the organization is facing? So what is the problem or opportunity the organization is facing? What is the value of changing it or addressing it? So, um, you know, maybe it's an opportunity to make money, save money, avoid costs, do greater good while making money, saving money, and avoiding costs. Now, what are the key business measures that need to improve? That if we improve them, tell us we're moving toward 
that making money, saving money, avoiding costs and doing greater good. And then you get to, okay, what needs to change? So it all starts with what is the business measure or the impact we're trying to have and the value of that impact? And then what needs to change? What do people need to start doing or stop doing that if they did that would help us improve those measures? And then what is it they need to learn to do that? And how can we give it to them? So Jack, you want to add to that? Yeah. And then from there, we go expect success. We lay out objectives for the, for the team, where we want to go with this, a, a, an objective for reaction, learning, application, impact, even ROI if we're going to ROI. And then we collect data along the way to make sure that we've got the, all the data to fit those levels. And then we do the analysis to sort out the effects of our project from other influences and then convert that to money and then co- calculate the ROI if that's what we want to do. So if it's worth it. But then the last step in our model, this is a six-step model that's in our book. The last step is leverage your results. And we think that's the most underappreciated part of the model. Hey, you've got good results. How are we going to use that? Maybe to get more funding. You remember Patty said that's probably the number one reason we need to do this is to keep our funder happy. The people gave us money for this thing. Or it could be that we want to get more support maybe more commitment. Maybe we want to uh, make things better because it didn't turn out quite quite as good as we like. Maybe it's to leverage my career. Uh, so we're leveraging the re- result to something good for you and the organization and others. So that's the last step, leveraging results. But it's the starting point, as Patty points out, is start with why. You can imagine start with why at the beginning and you leverage results at the end. Absolutely. I can, I, I'm being completely honest in, in this statement that about 10 years ago in my career, I was working on a project and I was totally stuck because my accounting team was trying to question, why are we, why are we doing this? What's the value? And I knew that there was value there. It was a, you know, it was a retention program. It was working, but it was like, you know, we, we missed that step. And so I was like trying to go back and come up with some, you know, method of, of, of calculating it. And I, I literally said, somebody needs to write a book on how to do this. So I appreciate you for, for writing that book, but. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I think it's absolutely something that all of yeah. us almost kind of have to learn the hard way and reflect on, okay, where did this go wrong? What could I have done differently? What should I have done better? Um, so yeah, kudos to you. This book is invaluable. So part of this is to be proactive and don't wait for someone to ask, you know, look, you had this, been working on this project, uh, gave you this money. Now show me the ROI or show me the impact Uh, that then it puts you in a, in a bind because you haven't thought about it. So now you've got a short timeline to, to have something and you're now defensive. You're defending a challenge. Essentially you want to be on the offense and you got ROIs now on somebody else's agenda. You want to keep it on your agenda. So one of our big issues here is to be proactive with this. Don't wait for someone to make you do it. Do it yourself. And when you do that, you're more in control of it. Just as you were pointing out, you, you get, get a chance, maybe experiment a little bit, take a little time to understand and make sure it's working quite well for you. Yeah. And another thing is be proactive, as Jack said. But the other thing, too, is you know, stop acquiescing. And I'd say that 
loosely because it's easier said than done, right? I mean, something's, you know, you have to be PC about it, but ask more questions before we jump on a solution because we see that happen a lot, whether it's, you know, the boss coming in saying, hey, I read a good book, or you go to a conference, HR tech, and you're like, oh my gosh, we've got to get this. And the question is why? Now, why do we really need to do that, right? So ask more questions and, you know, ask when the boss reads that good book, you know, read a great book, Crucial Conversations. I want everybody to go through training. It's like, okay, great idea. What exactly do you want them to learn? And then what exactly do you want them to do they're not doing now that they could do if they knew how to have a crucial conversation? And if they do those things, how's it going to help us improve output, quality, cost, and time? So by asking different set of questions, at least you can get some clarity on what the thinking is about that solution. But all too often, we are either um, in HR, it's either tell them what to do or just take the order. And you don't want to do either one of them, right? It's partnership and collaboration, that's such a powerful point. And I am totally, it, the listeners can't see the camera right now, but I'm like pointing at myself when you're talking about like HR tech, you know, it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, let's, oh, let's, yeah. it's let's so figure easy. this out. Yeah. It's, it's but so yeah, just asking those right questions up front. I can, I'm sure many of us can think of many different programs where, you know, a, a senior leader said, we need to do this. And instead of saying, okay, why should we do this? What do you, what do you want the outcome to be? We just go, okay, I'll get it done. <laughs> we, yeah. And, we're, pe- we're people pleasers, right? It's like yeah, real pleasing. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. And I'm, and from the Midwest, or, we're like ultra people pleasers. Yeah. You know, at least Molly <laughs> and I are. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, we are. it's something we're trying to overcome. <laughs> really powerful point. Um, you know, I think the other thing I want to say, and, and, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I'm trying to be a people pleaser. I really appreciated the the narrative that was used. You know, the, the context of the learning within this book was it was story-based. And through a lot of these almost like case studies, it really helped cement some of the concepts um, within the book. And so I'm curious maybe maybe to step back a little bit as you think about being an author and, and communicating to a different audience. As you thought about putting this book together, what prompted you to write it in this style versus the more technical style you've written in the past? Jack, you might want to respond to that first. Well, you know, we saw how we frightened people. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, so the notion of ROI, you're going that I don't, I don't have a finance and accounting degree and I don't like numbers and you know, I don't want more equations. You know, I don't want models. Uh, so just the notion of getting there seemed to frighten so many people. We say, look, we've got to simplify this because it's really just thinking logically for the most part. And there's some structure around it that helps us. And there's a, there's sometimes, we, you know, we'll have to track cost. And we can, the ROI formula itself that we use comes out fourth grade math. So it's not that difficult. So we, we just got to, I don't like to use the word dumb it down, but just bring it down to something that is approachable so a person will pick it up and start reading it. And the stories in there, we knew we had to put a lot of stories. We we always, in the last 10 years, I'd say, start our books, every chapter with a story. But here we've got stories embedded throughout the book. So to keep them engaged, keep them connected so they can see how this is coming out. And we don't bring in a lot of numbers. We don't bring in a lot of calculations because 
that's there when you when you need it. But there's a lot of logic and process you can take care of to get most of the things in place. And stories are compelling. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, the whole lots of conversation around storytelling these days, but they can be and they are compelling. And people say, God, that sounds just like me. I was right in Joan Kravis's shoes. So, <laughs> you know, it makes it a little more relatable. I think it's a really, um, I think it's a really interesting um, approach. And from, from my standpoint, I think what's really interesting is, in, you know, kind of intertwined throughout the entire book is it really all comes down to, to really good communication. Right. And, and, and you can see that in the writing and, and I, you know, it's obviously clearly research backed. Um, you know, this isn't flavor of the month. Um, you know, there, there's legitimate, you know, really legitimate action oriented things that somebody can do, uh, whether they're an individual contributor or a, a senior executive trying to figure out how to get a project approved. Like there, there's, there's things that you can take in your career and, um, and, and be personally and professionally rewarding, I think, for, for anybody that, that takes the time to read through this. So I really appreciate the, uh, the time that went into the book. It is less than, I was looking it up. It's like less than 140 pages, I think, if you take the acknowledgments yep. out of there. So it is like, short. It is it's a short easy. Book. It's easy. easy. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I, I think really well done. So I, I really appreciate both of you um, sharing a little bit about it. Um, I do want to shift gears. I'm fascinated to hear uh, with, with both of your experience in the, the realm of HR, your responses to the Rebel HR flash round. So, um, all right, I'm going to start. I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll ask each of you, um, and I'll start with you, Patty. Uh, where does HR need to rebel? They need to be less, um, they need to acquiesce less, ask more questions, and be more curious. Love it. Jack? Yes. Uh, stop focusing on administrative legal compliance. <laughs> uh, yes, that's important. You'll take care of that. But start connecting what we do to the business and show that to, to the business leaders. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. That's probably <laughs> another book or two. Um, but I, I agree wholeheartedly. All right. Question number two, uh, and I'll switch it up. Jack, who should we be listening to? Now, this is a surprise to people. I think you should listen to your chief financial officer. A lot of HR executives don't like to even talk to that person. And unfortunately, a lot of them now report to that person. Gartner tells us about almost 20% of HR executives are now reporting to CFOs. And, they, and that's happened to them because the executive, the top executives doesn't clearly understand the value of HR. So let's put it under the function that's going to control it and manage it so they don't go wild in spending. That's a CFO. So listen to the CFO. What's on their mind? What are their issues? A, read a magazine called Chief Financial Officer. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a digital uh, publication now. It used to be printed publication. But it's amazing when you see what's in their world. We got to get in their world a little bit. I can attest one of the best things any HR professional can do is get the CFO on their side. Yes. Very helpful. <laughs> Molly, we've had that conversation. We have. It's very important. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I, I'll, I'll take a tangent here because we were just talking about storytelling. But um, when I joined one of my organizations, I, I reported direct to the CFO for that for that exact reason where, 
you know, the HR was kind of a question mark. They didn't really know where it should go, but they knew it did something with compliance. CFO does admin. Okay, that works, right? You know, and that's kind of, and it took a couple of years before the organization realized the value of human resources. And and fortunately, I had a, a chief executive officer at the time that just completely understood that uh, that fact and the value and the importance. Um, but sometimes it does take time, and it really does take learning the organization, and sometimes kind of being you know being a little bit of a nerd and learning what is, what is ROI? What's cost benefit analysis? You know, speaking the language of somebody that, that spent their life in finance, I think is important. I think it's, it's actually one of the more inclusive things you can do as an HR leader is learn the language that others in your organization speak. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, on that, Kyle, not to jump into whatever your process is here. I think that's the thing. People are afraid to ask, Right. They think they should know. And so they won't ask. And that's part of that curiosity. Go ask. Are you kidding? A CFO would love it if HR would come to him and say, hey, can you explain this to me? So, um, yeah. Yeah, I I'm going I'm to interrupt here, too. And I know we got to get going, but I'm curious because if, if we have a listener who's you know, head of HR and they feel like they are not reporting to the right person with the right structure, what advice do you have for that person? Yes. Well, I don't think influence is necessary structural reporting. Get You can get to know the people you need to get to know, right? The reporting, organization, structure is structure. That's go, go, go know them. Go get to know them. Go If you're not reporting to the, CF, the CFO, you still get to know the CFO. If you're not reporting to operations or IT or wherever it is, you still get to know those folks. So I don't think structure is a question. You just need to to reach out. People are willing to help. So Jack, I think you were about to respond to Molly. Yeah, I think, so. uh, yes. First start showing the value of what you do to the CFO and reminding them that uh, our biggest opportunity for value add is going to be probably with operations or sales or both. And, and you've got to work closely with them to make sure that we help them get the productivity and outcomes that they need. So you keep reminding this person that, yes, I'm reporting to you, but I, I, I'm probably going to have to align myself a lot with some other executives to get to help achieve the objectives that you want us to. So they begin to then see, well, maybe you don't need to be reporting into me. Uh, ideally, they need to report to the CEO um, and not to any of that, even the operating executive. Executives, but it's it's basically sh show how you add value and where you add value and who you need to work with to get that value that you need. That might change some thinking there. Absolutely, left advice. I know we have a hard stop, so I'm going to jump to the last question. How can our listeners connect with you and get a copy of the book? Well, all they have to do is just give us a shout. You can email us at patty, P-A-T-T-I, at roiinstitute.net or jack at roiinstitute.net or go to our website, roiinstitute.net. We'd love to hear from your listeners. And if you just want the book, it's obviously at Amazon. It's also at our publisher, Barrett Kohler. It's wherever books are sold, you'll find this book. Absolutely. And we'll have links to that in the show notes. So open up your podcast player, check it out. Uh, Patty, Jack, just sincerely appreciate the conversation and all of the work that you've done over the years to help 
advance our profession. So thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today. Thank you for having us. It's great to meet you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.